Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today, we have a very special guest on, which I'm so excited about, as usual, when we have guests on, because we pick the goodies, don't we? We always do. We always do. So, Tierra is an enthusiastic, caring, and open-minded coach who holds a strong passion for health, fitness, and nutrition science. She has a master's degree in dietetics and a bachelor of nutrition and exercise, a certificate three and four in fitness, and a level one ISAC anthropometry accreditation. So well done skinfolds. For pronouncing oh, that. Mate, I, was like, I had to give myself some time to say that, but we got there. She's also a physique athlete and a podcast host. So the Bodybuilding Dietitians is her podcast. Welcome to our podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much That's for a long on. list. It is. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sherelle and Danny, for having me on. Honestly, when you guys asked me to join you today, I was just over the moon. I'm so happy to be here. I am a huge fan of everything you guys do in the health and fitness industry too. I've looked up to you for a long time. I'm a huge fan of your podcast as well. And um, yeah, I'm just excited to talk today. Yay! Yeah, great. You know, we're really excited, like I said, to have someone, um, you know, with your background and your experience. It's really um, hard to find the two to put them together. You know, mm. I listen to your podcast and I have for a, a while, so um, it's a really good one. So if you girls want to head over and check out um, her podcast as well, really good information. You can follow along their own journey uh, to stage as well. So let's jump straight into it. So what made you lean towards uh, sports nutrition specifically? Yeah. So, you know, growing up as a kid, I've always, you know, I pretty much played every single sport under the sun. I've always been highly involved in various different sports. My parents encouraging me to just try everything out. Right. And, uh, I think from a young age, I was just really intrigued by how, what I was eating would fuel my performance. You know, I kind of clicked on at a young age and I realized like, you know, before a big swim meet, if I would eat a bunch of salty pasta, you know, I would be able to race faster, right? So you pick up these little things or, you know, like having a tea before your, um, I did a lot of swimming as a kid, but like having maybe a tea or something, like you don't actually know at the time that it is the caffeine, but you realize like, oh, if I drink this, you know, before my training session, I actually, you know, I perform better. So picked up along these things uh, as a kid and it kind of just carried on, you know, through my teenage years and to where I am today. But I've always just been really, really fascinated by the way that food interconnects with the body. And the main thing is the way that it makes you feel, you know, we all know that when you eat good quality food, you just feel really freaking good. Right. And, uh, I'd like to feel my best and, you know, performance matters a heck of a lot to me and I love to perform my best. So that's why I was just super fascinated with that. And I'm like, you know, if I'm going to go to uni and if I'm going to study something, I really want it to be in this space. I want to become an expert in this space so I can learn how to fuel myself through science, but also just help other people as well. 
Amazing. Fuel yourself through science. How good is that? Oh, that's up there with movement being medicine. Movement is medicine. Yeah. yeah. And yep, love it. Thank you for the new hashtag that we'll be uh, really <laughs> dominating and smashing. Um, and that's why we're really excited to have you on. I mean, a lot of people talk about nutrition or give out advice, but we wanted someone who was backed by science and just to have your take on it to really mm-hmm. maximize um, the knowledge and advice that our listeners would get. Yeah. We've spoken a little bit on flexible dieting mm-hmm. from a beginner standpoint, and then mm-hmm. we named one sort of advanced uh, flexible dieting but this will be a really cool tie-in um, and spin-off of that kind of stuff but yeah. not only just flexible dieting but all diets and 100%. yeah so yeah. tell us a bit like um, tell us a bit about your philosophy on um, dieting and nutrition and how you go about um, your own personal diet in life you know there's a lot of misconceptions and fads and everything out there but what's your philosophy around nutrition yeah so absolutely I To be honest, I am a huge advocate for eating really good quality food. You know, essentially anything that comes out of the ground, anything that comes is from a plant or an animal, you know, we know that that's highly nutritious food. And uh, it's really going to influence the way that we feel, the way that our body performs, you know, our health and longevity. It really does increase your quality of life. If you're eating four to six times per day, you know, if you're constantly putting good quality nutritious food into your body, you know, you can kind of expect some good outcomes, right? So uh, I certainly am a good, I am a advocate for highly nutritious food. And, um, but at the same time, I fully recognize that there's a huge psychological component there, right? Like, I don't necessarily like labeling foods as good or bad, right and wrong, because, you know, like being healthy, it's so much more than just what you put into your body. It's the way that you, you know, treat certain foods and the way that you think about certain foods. And uh, it's, it's a bit of both. (laughs) It's, and it really does come, I think, come down to that, you know, 80, 20 kind of approach, you know? predominantly filling yourself with highly nutritious foods, but also recognizing that having something that might be slightly more processed or something, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to ruin your life. And in in fact, in a lot of situations, it can actually enhance your life and actually make things a little bit less stressful, especially in like social situations and stuff like that. I love that. A a real all rounded approach, you know, and, and recognizing that health is more than just sticking to such a strict um, diet, so to speak. Mm. So that's really cool that we're advocates for the 80 20 rule as yeah. well. And 80% yeah. soul. No, 80% whole, 20% soul. <laughs> I always okay. Say. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And I think as well for a lot of our listeners, um, us included, you know, we're real type A's. We're real good at hitting those numbers. We're real yeah. good at staying on point. And um, what we're not good at is finding that balance and allowing ourselves to not only have the twenty percent soul food, but feel good doing it. Because mm-hmm. it's not about doing it; it's about how we feel about ourselves doing it at the end of the day. And yeah. also being able to step away just from that chicken, rice, and broccoli. And you know, we all sit here competing uh, as well, so we have to instill that mindset as that type a so Mm. it's really good to hear that coming from you as well and you know i guess in saying that you've um you've competed a few times as well um you know in physique competitions so tell us a little bit about your experience and what got you into competing yeah so again 
like growing up as a kid, you know, playing a heck of a lot of sports. And uh, toward the end of high school, I was, and first year university, I was doing a lot of long distance running, mm-hmm. but I kind of just really ran myself into the ground. I had a pretty unhealthy- You were doing that too, Sherelle, <laughs> long yeah. distance running. 20 k like on a Sunday, so right? Many people go through this same journey, right? Mm. Like we start off with just like, we're hyper-focused on, you know, just expending as many calories as possible, right? We're hyper-focused on breaking our body down, right? Mm. And uh, doing that through eating very a minimal amount of food and doing excessive amounts of energy, like excessive amounts of exercise. Mm. But then finally, we all discover the gym, right? Like we discover lifting weights and we're like, man, this is awesome. Mm. <laughs> like and we fall in love with it and we transition out of that really cardio-based style of exercise and training and we transition more into resistance training and we also you know change our mindset around you know eating to break ourselves down we start eating to build ourselves up Mm. and i feel like so many people have gone along that journey right but i think honestly it's so important to go along that kind of journey because then you know you experience that and you learn from those life experiences and then that's the way that you can truly relate to other people and truly mm. relate to your clients, right? Because you've been there, you've done that. And we've all, you know, tried crazy wacky diets. We've all been super restrictive. We've all done like unstructured exercise programs, right? Like <laughs> I feel like almost everyone's on the same playing yeah. field, yeah. you know, it's quite level. moment for the first five years of my fitness. So. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> right. But like, you know, I think it's important to a point to actually experience things like that because that's how you truly learn. Yeah, It's a heck of a lot different to someone just telling you, you know, like, oh, you know, um, make sure that you right from the get go that you progressively overload and, you know, you do these things with the way that you eat, like you never truly understand and Mm. it helps you come full circle. So yeah, I'm sorry. That was a total tangent. No, that's (laughs) welcome to the podcast. You fit right in because that's (laughs) Our podcast is purely made from tangents and we wanted to keep this a real casual chat. And I really wanted to just jump back to something that you said earlier. I mean, four, five, six meals a day, was it? Um, Yeah. Maybe we can talk about sort of when it would be beneficial for for someone to eat frequently versus um, less frequently in the day. Is there a right or wrong? Why did you sort of pick that amount of meals per day? Ah, I guess it's just an average time, you know, an average amount that the an average person would eat, right? Like yeah. generally people do have a few main meals, people might have a few snacks kind of thing. But again, it can range anywhere depending on the person, right? Someone might only eat once a day, someone might want to graze throughout the day and eat 10 times a day kind of thing, right? But I think generally it does fall into that like maybe four to six, three to six kind of times during the day where you actually sit down and you actually put something into your body, Mm. right? Um, And from a standpoint of like, you know, a recovery and protein synthesis kind of standpoint, there is literature to suggest that you do want to get, you know, those frequent protein boluses pretty evenly spread throughout the day, anywhere between, you know, like three to six times. And, you know, you're eating, obviously the Thing that matters most is the total amount of protein you're eating throughout the day. But mm. if you can evenly distribute that, you're getting that from a high biological value source of protein, like an animal source of protein. Or if you are getting that from a plant-based source, making sure you're just having, you know, all of the essential amino acids in there, at least that hitting that leucine threshold of at least two to three grams 
grams per day. The literature does suggest that, you know, eating like that between three to six times per day with protein in each one of those meals, it generally does lead to greater, more positive body composition change of, you know, uh, greater muscle hypertrophy, better recovery from exercise, all of those great things too. Amazing. Thank yeah. you. And I think from a side of that as well, you know, something that people forget about is like, yeah, of course the literature supports that, but it also it goes in favor of habits and routines and structure mm. because that, you know, if you're having more consistency with your meal times and your frequency and not spanning out eight hours, not eating and then eating everything, you know, it also comes down to our habits and everything, which we know very, um, very well going through um, severe dieting and extreme dieting phases, how important those routines and systems are. So, um, you know, you, we briefly mentioned before that you've done um, your competition preps. Do you have mm. a coach yourself or do you do your own nutrition? Yeah. So I actually, I do actually coach myself and uh, yeah, so I, I have coached myself and I plan to pretty much coach myself in the future. And, cool. but I definitely don't like just put myself into a little bubble kind of thing. Like yeah. I'm always staying open-minded and I do consult with a lot of other coaches, you know, and just talk about different strategies, different protocols in regards to training, nutrition, posing, because you can learn something from everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to stay open-minded and, you know, it's always good to have people in your corner that you trust, you know, they're evidence-based, you respect their opinion and you can just talk to them about certain things. Yeah, I love that. We always talk about the importance of having uh, mentors and people close in your life and that can guide you. And, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, like we always say, like this big authority figure. It can be multiple people. Like I'm sure your partner who you prep um, alongside, you know, I'm sure yeah. he's a, um, an important, valuable player in where you're at in your journey and everything like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you can, you will never know everything, you know, like, and the minute that you think you know everything, you just, you stop learning. And I, I want to be able to learn for the rest of my life and, you know, mm. and uh, be able to have those open discussions with people. And otherwise, yeah, you need to keep advancing. Right. But mm -hmm. I think from a point of uh, coaching myself, I think over the years I've demonstrated to myself that the main, one of the main reasons I think people get a coach is hugely the adherence component, right? It's the adherence component and it's also the educational component too. And I feel like I've proven to myself over the, over the past years that I certainly can be adherent. You know, I can follow a plan, you know, I can trust the process and uh, I can also be very disciplined. And I know that because I've specialized in this area, you know, studying full time for four and a half years, you know, all of this nutrition, exercise, science stuff, it's right up my alley. So mm. I know I've got the education component there too. So um, I, I'm, I'm really confident in coaching myself, but at the same time, I'm still always learning. Even after, mm. you know, uni has ended, I'm still subscribed to, you know, plenty, like Mass is an amazing uh, resource. You know, Greg Knuckles, Eric Trexler, um, Eric Helms, they release this research review every single month and they've oh. pretty much, you know, review the most recent literature in yeah, the strength and physique field. So that's called mass. Yeah. Uh, okay. But yeah, amazing. just that's know. why email, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and um, that, yeah. It, it's amazing. So it stands for like monthly application in strength sports. So cool. that's an awesome way, you know, to stay up to date with the literature, listen to evidence-based podcasts, you know, reading different eBooks like uh, Brad Seanfield. He's just released mm -hmm. his new book on strength and hypertrophy. Yes. I've um, been reading that. Yeah. Like um, Brett Contreras, his glute lab book. I'm yeah, halfway through reading that. I love that thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
amazing. And I love that you recognize that we must continue to learn even after uni or whether we've gone to uni or not, just there yeah. are resources out there. Um, cause because I think things keep changing. Correct. <laughs> and, and that's why we kind of look back, as you said, the first five years, but we don't know <laughs> what we don't know. Yeah. Um, so I would love to really pick your brain on some of your knowledge of the current literature. Mm. Um, perhaps when, and we can talk about sort of the different types of diets. How yeah. about that? We go down that path. Um, yeah, absolutely. so, we mentioned sort of frequent meal timing of protein, but then also you have people who intermittently fast. Is that yeah. intermittent fasting? Yeah. So what's your opinion on intermittent fasting? Uh, so to be honest, I think whatever diet someone chooses to, you know, follow, the main thing is that it just needs to, they need to be able to adhere to it. They need mm-hmm. to be able to truly enjoy it. Like they're not doing it for a reason because they think it's the right thing to do, but it's actually yeah. the way they genuinely enjoy eating. Yeah. It's the way that helps to sustain their energy levels. So they actually feel good throughout the day. You know, if someone feels their best intermittent fasting and they genuinely feel like, you know, they're not thinking about food throughout the day because they haven't, you know, they know that they don't have to eat in an hour or something. It's not distracting for them. They're Mm -hmm. not feeling intense hunger. Then kudos to that person. If it's working for them, it works for them. That's the main thing. But if someone's intermittent fasting and they're like hungry and ravenous throughout the day, but they've told themselves like, oh, I'm not allowed to eat until 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And they're just like a grumpy, miserable person with like low energy levels. Then you might want to be like, hey, you know, let's have a discussion. I love that. <laughs> it doesn't have to be this way. So um, I think those are a few of the main things, apart from, you know, the fundamentals of you need a nutrient-rich diet. You need yeah. to be able to ensure you're not deficient in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I would try to generally avoid, you know, excluding whole food groups. And like, yeah, that's one, excluding whole food groups, unless you actually have an allergy or an intolerance to certain foods. Mm. And that's when you really need to work closely alongside a dietitian to be like, okay, you're actually lactose intolerant. That's why you should, you know, potentially, maybe we should limit a, a bit of the dairy in your diet, not necessarily because you read online that dairy's full of pus or something that like, oh, it's for God's sake. For yeah. you. <laughs> so it's like, not just like, you have to have a good reason if you actually can't eat something in your diet. Right. Mm-hmm. And also, Brilliant. you know, trying to get away from that, you know, there's three macronutrients for a reason. We have protein, we have carbohydrates and we have fats for a reason because we need them all in our diet. They're there, you know, with a great purpose. So Trying to also steer clear from, you know, uh, trying to exclude, you know, all of carbohydrates or excluding all of fats. Thank God no one actually excludes protein. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, actually. I'm so oh, grateful for I, that. You find that a lot of people under eat protein though, because I remember growing up thinking that if I ate too much protein, it was going to ruin mm. my kidneys and stuff. Yeah, What's your that is true. That? Actually, that's, that's another that myth. Yeah, that's true. So it's a myth just to confirm. Absolutely, it's a myth. <laughs> it's it's only it's, it's only a it's only actually is an issue if someone's actually diagnosed Rated with a kidney up. problem, right? And someone's yeah. actually like on dialysis or something. But the majority of us aren't in that situation. Our kidneys yeah. are super healthy and fine, and protein's very nutritious. Mm. Yeah, because then you find that people are scared of eating protein, but then they mm-hmm. overconsume fats anyway it could be saturated fats and and all of that so that's probably doing way more harm 
Exactly. Yeah. There's, it's always like, it's always that balance, right? If one thing goes down, the other thing goes up. It's always like, you just want to find everything in between. (laughs) You find that in marketing as well. Oh, this is low fat. And then you turn it around and it's so high in sugar. It's high low, low everything unless it's Coke Zero. <laughs> unless you're eating. I know people. People love that, right? They love the words low and they love the words no. You know, yeah. like um or free. They love like you know a- anything that's like titled gluten free, right? Yeah. People read that and they're like, oh my god, yes, something's missing, right? Yeah. They think it's better because something's not there, and it's like. No, like gluten's actually a protein in wheat, right? It's, just, it's a type of protein and it's what makes bread bread. It gives it that fluffiness and that viscosity. And without, mm. if you're actually, unless you're gluten intolerant or you're very gluten sensitive or something like that, like, man, gluten's awesome. It makes yeah. bread so good. Exactly. <laughs> so does it have uh-huh. hard bread? Yeah, bread's awesome. <laughs> so if you're not gluten intolerant, are there harmful side effects for consuming gluten? Because I remember there was a phase maybe two years ago, everyone seemed to be gluten-free all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, and even in the back of my mind, I'm like, should I be cutting out gluten? Like, no. what's your opinion on that? Okay. Yeah. So, well, well, yeah. So it's just, it's just a type of protein in wheat containing products. It's also in things like barley, things like oats, right? So it's just a type of protein. Um, and people who ha- do have celiac disease or people who are gluten sensitive, right? It, uh, they, they certainly do need to avoid gluten because it can cause a lot of inflammation and just issues in their, in their bowels. So uh, most certainly, you know, if you're actually mm-hmm. diagnosed with celiac disease, then yes, you need to avoid gluten. But the thing is, is that when they take something away, similar to Danny, how you were just like, you know, like this thing's really low in fat, but super high in sugar, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you take something away, it needs to be replaced like something uh, with something. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not going to be the same product or it's going to taste like absolute crap. So, mm. yeah. so when you take gluten away from these products, right? Um, and this is the thing. People need to learn the skill of understanding, you know, the energy density of different foods, you know, and actually the macronutrient distribution of different foods. Because if you take gluten away from a pasta, right? And then you look at a gluten-free pasta, it usually has to have something like uh, uh, rice, uh, rice or something yeah rice or maize or mm. soy or whatever something that is gluten-free but if you actually look at the macronutrient ratio of it it's actually much higher in carbohydrates than normal wheat containing pasta it's usually lower in protein and it's usually a lot lower in fiber too so it's there usually a much more processed product yeah. so um Mm-hmm. And that's and the same with bread. You know, if you take yeah. the out of bread, it doesn't rise. It doesn't give it that fluffiness of bread. And they usually have to add a lot of, you know, different types of gums and fillers and thickeners to mm. try to replicate real bread. Mm. Yeah. And you see that um, even with like, um, this is one of the reasons why I sort of limit artificial sweetener now, because what I found, I was like, well, when I turn the, the diet, whatever it is over, I'm like, mm. look at all the list of yeah. shit that I'm putting in my yeah. body. I'm better off <laughs> yeah. just having the sugar. Yeah. At least yeah. it's natural. My body can yeah. process and digest it. Like you said, all those gums and fillers, you know, it's debatable yeah. whether we should be putting that shit in our body. Um, yeah. But that's another another hot topic. But <laughs> thank you for saying that because do you know what I mean? Like not enough people come out and being like, this is okay to do, yep. you know, and it's not sexy, you know, <laughs> like we live in a world where like we spend so much money on 
zero calories, you mm. know, like we fill up our grocery basket and it's got like zero this, zero that, diet, low fat. Yeah. Whereas, you know, back in the day, they were like scratching their pennies to get the most calorie dense peanut butter on the shelf. And here yeah. we go spending all the money on, you know, zero noodles and stuff. So it's yeah. a funny time to be in. Well, we're just being misled, I think, and misinformed. So that's why it's really cool just to have you um, uh, state your scientifically backed knowledge rather yeah. than what's a trend at the time. Mm. Um, we mentioned sort of no need to cut out large food groups. So then what's your opinion on the keto diet? Ooh, the ketogenic diet. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to just keep plugging things at you. No, it's fine. It. We need it's, to hear this. I think the thing about the ketogenic diet is, one, a lot of people aren't actually on a ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. They're actually on a high-fat, high-protein, pretty low-carb diet. But I doubt that they're actually in ketosis because to actually be in ketosis, you have to be eating a hell of a lot of fat. Like 80% of the total calories you're consuming needs to come from fat. Mm-hmm. And then around uh, 15% needs to come from protein. Mm-hmm. And then only around five or less of those calories need to come from carbohydrates to actually have blood ketone levels. And so how many carbs would that roughly occur? Oh, maybe like the... it depends on the person's total energy intake, but probably yeah. like sub twenty grams. <laughs> yeah, so that's nothing. <laughs> that is anything. In, in, oh, it's a huge carbs, issue. Yeah. And one, when you consider like carbohydrates, right? We have uh, like um, digestible and non-digestible carbohydrates. The ones that can't be digested, we know is fiber, right? Because fiber has beta bonds in it and we can't break those apart with our enzymes. That's why fiber goes into our large intestine and we ferment it, which is amazing for our gut microbiome, right? Mm -hmm. But the fiber recommendations are to have at least 25 to 30 grams of fiber per day for good Mm -hmm. health. And literature suggests even having more than 30 grams up to 40 grams is very, very healthy. Mm -hmm. But in Australia, um, the total carbohydrates actually includes fiber as mm. well. Oh. So, um, so for example, like if something had like 20 grams of carbohydrates, right. And then it says five grams of fiber. I think that that means that uh, it only has tw- 15 grams of digestible carbohydrates and the other five grams are fiber. If that okay. makes sense. That's Absolutely. why when you track cucumber. Yeah. <laughs> cause it's, whereas in America, they're different. Charles <laughs> dirty on me cause I made her, um, sorry. So much dirty on me because I've told her to start tracking her cucumbers. <laughs> like bringing it up in no, every no, no, scenario. No, no, no. I'm like, oh, the sun's out today. Yeah, tracking my cucumbers. <laughs> America. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, I know. It depends. Like, if, whatever type of food you're eating, you're like corn, right? Like, oh, <laughs> uh, like, yeah. The fiber in corn, like, and you're like, I know all that corn's not being digested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can send yourself nuts. And this is why I'm always like, it's like, what do you count and what do you not? And it's exactly. not consistent. But yeah, so that's the thing with keto diets, right? If you're having such minimal amount of carbohydrates, you're not actually giving yourself enough fiber. So that's one yeah. main thing. And you might have poor digestion from that because we know that fiber helps to move things along and, you know, helps with regular digestion and stool motility, right? That That's a huge issue. Um, but also just people aren't generally in ketosis because 80% of your calories coming from fat, like that is so much mm. olive oil, right? That is so mm. much just 
egg yolks and coconut oil and butter and like lard and you have to eat like these pure fat sources things like obviously avocado is awesome but even then if you eat too much avocado it could interfere with your carbs or whatever right well yeah Um, and people aren't actually measuring their blood ketone levels or their ketone Mm. levels through their urine so a lot of people unfortunately aren't actually in ketosis but they are on like they are eating a lot more protein. That's the thing as well. If you only have 15% of your calories coming from protein, depending on, again, your total energy intake, like if you're on 1,200 calories, right? And you're trying to be in ketosis, but only 15% of those calories are coming from protein, you're obviously in an energy deficit. And we know that you need at least two to 2.5 grams per kilogram of body weight of protein to actually maintain your muscle mass during that energy deficit. Mm. I hi- You can't get that much protein you know, from only 15% of your total calories. So you can't have both. So mm. you're at a risk of losing muscle mass and being in keep. And um, if you want to be on a keto diet and then you know, again, the exercise performance side of things, we know that resistance training and a lot of sports, it's an anaerobic kind of sport and in an anaerobic, you know, exercise, we rely on carbohydrates and glucose as our main fuel source. So again, if you're doing high intensity exercise, you just won't be able to, obviously different people have different experiences, but the majority of people won't be able to uh, perform as well on a very, very low carbohydrate diet. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough for your gut microbiome. You know, it's tough. And again, if you're not having fibers, right, and you're excluding all of these carbohydrates and plant-based foods, you're excluding like a majority of plants from your diet, mm-hmm. you might be nutrient deficient. And, uh, you know, you just don't have a lot of diversity in your gut microbiome. You might not be able to perform very well. And again, excluding a whole food group, like what happens if it's your wedding and your partner wants to have some cake <laughs> on your yeah. wedding day, Serious or, you problem. know, you go out to dinner, right. With your friends and they're like, Oh, you got to try my pizza. But you're like, it's mm-hmm. like psychologically yeah. you, um, it you can really just beat yourself up mentally and it can be a really, really slippery slope. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for um, uncovering those figures because I remember seeing a lot of people, particularly males, I think, get around the yeah. keto bandwagon. Um, mm. yeah. but these Hollywood abs, these keto. <laughs> yeah. And they can, from what I've heard, potentially, you can correct me if I'm wrong, males can get away with it more. But I remember mm. seeing photos of people with steak covered in butter or bacon. Yeah. like Carnival. keto. But then from what you said, 15% has to come from yeah. protein. Yeah. So they've overdone it in sort of one meal. But the reason why people, you know, they get good results from it is because, you know, one, if you do follow a high fat, high protein diet, even if it's not actually getting you into ketosis, it can, I've, you know, I, again, I've done wacky diets throughout my life. I spent about four months trying to try out this insanely low carb diet, right? High fat, high protein. And I was in uh, running, I was doing a lot of endurance running at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) but Sherelle you you know like it really does help with satiety you know you don't feel as hungry right it's amazing and especially when you're coming from a background where you're so food focused it's it's such a sensation to actually not think about food and you're like Mm. man I actually don't feel hungry for the first time in my life so Mm. I totally understand why people can really 
fall in love with that too. You know, like that feeling of you're not thinking about food all the time. You're not distracted all the time. Right. Um, and you're eating foods that you might've previously excluded. Like before I went on a high fat, high protein diet, this is when I was like 17, 18. So a few years ago, um, I previously feared fat. So like I would exclude anything in my diet with fat, which I ran into complications with obviously. Do you mind Um, asking or elaborating on what kind of complications one would run into for excluding fats? Oh, very, very, a very low fat diet. I experienced some really wacky things. So uh, I did go through a period in my, in grade 12, where I just had pretty disordered eating. I was doing a lot of endurance running, like 10 to 15 kilometers of running every day. I was only eating two meals a day. I was probably eating sub 1000 calories. And um, Mm -hmm. it was pretty much just like vegetables and chicken breast and like two slices of bread, some oats. So I was eating very, very little fat. And um, I think it was a combination of having one, being in such a severe energy deficit, doing so much exercise, but, and also very low fat is that I started getting bruises all over my body. Um, it was, it was crazy. It must've been muscle catabolism. Um, Mm. but like anything that bumped me, I was just, I was just covered in bruises. It was, it was terrible. I hated the way that it looked. Um, and it was awful. And I still don't know. I've tried searching it. That happens to me during comp prep, to be honest. I bruise all the time. I don't know what, I don't know what it is. Yeah. And it might've had something to do with, you know, I just wasn't getting enough vitamin K in my diet because we know vitamin K helps with blood coagulation and it's a fat soluble vitamin as well. Um, could have been something to do with that. It could have been something to do with, I was just in such a catabolic state that literally my muscles breaking down from the inside, right? Mm. You could see it on the superficial level. I don't know how scientifically backed that is, but I don't know what actually happened. Maybe but, less uh, padding as well. if you bump Yeah, it. literally. Yeah. But yeah, something, I don't know. Okay. I was just starting to bruise so bad, but there's probably different fact, a lot of different factors that um fell into that. But the main thing is, is that like, coming out of that fearing fat. And then I <laughs> the reason why I changed is because I actually saw this documentary on Catalyst where they were talking about- I love these, Catalyst. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool, right? It's um, a country thing. I'm like, they, what's Catalyst? <laughs> did your parents get you into Catalyst? They did because <laughs> they knew that I they knew that I, I was scared of fat and they're like, Terry, you got to watch this documentary. I and they were oh. this documentary was on these athletes who were consuming high fat diets, very low carbohydrate diets. And they they were performing really well and they had all these health benefits. And like, it was almost like a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, I'm going to go on a high fat diet. <laughs> and like, I was so, I was so excited because I Aww. got to start eating these foods every day that I previously deemed as bad. I got to start eating like cheese and bacon and avocado and like all of peanut butter, like all these foods that I hadn't eaten for like a year, which, yeah. um, was amazing, made me so excited. So yeah. But then I fell full circle again. And like, that's, that's when I first entered, that was my very first year of studying at university and, you know, learning about nutrition, exercise science. And I'm like, man, if I actually want to be a dietitian one day, I can't, I can't be going around excluding food groups, you know, like this is not sustainable. And I'm really grateful that I realized that you know, in those first few months of uni. So then finally I start to reintroduce things like fruit and more vegetables to my diet, oats again. And I could still enjoy peanut butter. I could still have cheese and eggs. Like, right. You come full circle. And then 
like, and you just realize you're like, wow, I'm actually okay. Like I'm still alive. I'm still happy. I'm still performing really well. If anything, I'm actually performing even better. Mm -hmm. I'm sleeping better at night. You know, I'm a lot more, I'm a lot nicer to be around, especially in social situations that involve food. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I can really relate to you with a lot of that sort of stuff because that was me. You know, I was running, you know, 50 to 60 Ks a week, um, fasting during the day before my runs, eating a couple of meals, like, yeah, always low carb. Like I think my Mm -hmm. whole high school, I was low carb. Um, Lost a heap of weight when I got into the running, like probably lost like 10 kilos. I was 45 kilos usually running around. And you feel good because your appetite's suppressed and there is with endurance sort of stuff, you know, carb just didn't feel right like yeah. you know having a big carby breakfast before I'd go run 20k just didn't feel right mm. uh, and then you're right like through education and knowledge and experience and pushing yourself you sort of grow out of that and I'm so we're so uh, lucky with you know social media and people like yourself who really do push that message that you know food is fuel and movement mm-hmm. is medicine and this is how we progress long term because yeah like it's it's not trex- um, trendy or sexy that we should be having all the food groups and we should be having balance um, yeah it's just the honest truth isn't it yeah and it's interesting that you both have that background I remember um, I came from being a tennis player But then it was also just a mixture of like, I didn't think about food. I'd wake up. Oh yeah, I'm hungry now. Cool. Okay. I'm going to go play tennis, see my friends. Like it was on my mind where I found that the more I learned about it, now I find it harder to actually switch off. (laughs) I'm sort of always planning my life around when my next meals would be. Um, Yes, my body compositions change, but then I can understand how people would become confused because they have that realization. I was lucky to have guidance on what to do, but there's no guidance for people. And they're like, Mm. shit, I'm thinking about food all the time now, but I don't actually know what to do. Mm. And that's when it can get a bit tricky. Yeah. And I found a piece of paper at home. Remember I was telling you, I found this piece of paper. I was like a chronic dieter, always trying (laughs) the next thing, you know, Mm. five, two, fasting, keto, whatever. Found this piece of paper from like, I don't even know, 2008 or something. And it had like day one fast, day two (laughs) And I'm like something stupid, like 1,200 calories. And then day three, day four fast. And then wow. I was just like, and my body weight on it. And I was like, I found this piece of paper. And I said to Danny, I remember saying to you last week, I was like, you know, that could have ended badly. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if I hadn't taken a proactive approach like what you did, like, you know, yeah. going to um, studying dietetics and everything, going down that path and realizing the better way yeah. um, through going through perhaps a little bit of trauma when you're a bit younger mm. um, by doing all of that, you know, being like, this sucks. I feel like shit. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of girls do go down that slippery slope. So it's yeah. really important to either get help um, yeah. or get educated and also get a bit of confidence to step out of your comfort zone. And like you said, when you are building your calories up and trying new things, you're like, oh, I'm going to get fat. It's not going to work. I'm going to get fat. I'm going to get bulky. Yeah. I'm going to get big. And you almost need to prove it to yourself that you're not going to. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. You know, it's always that, it's always that mental barrier and it's always – the, the hardest part is always just starting, you know, and mm. just trying something new. But then once you start and you, just like you said, you demonstrate to yourself that I'm okay. You know, yeah. I'm not putting on a bunch of weight. I feel yeah. good. I'm eating what I like, you know, mm-hmm. like 
things are really, really good now. And, uh, yeah. but you truly appreciate it when you've gone through those struggles previously. Right. right? Yeah. And that's why it's important to not only get guidance as, um, you both have said, but guidance from someone who knows what they're doing because yeah. mm-hmm. people reach out, which is amazing. Good, good work for everyone who's reaching out for help, but make sure you're reaching out to someone that knows because then that can put you off altogether. And, mm. you know, you, you adhere to someone's um, guidelines, but they're sending you on a worse path, which unfortunately is quite prevalent out there. Oh, it's so I know. Funny. It's really, it's really, really unfortunate, you know, because I feel like there are a lot of red flags in the health and fitness industry for people who just don't hold credentials and qualifications and the reason Common why sense. they're they're trying to stand out because they think that they have some sort of special magical plan that sure it might have got someone results you know from a uh, you know a physique standpoint or like they might look a certain way but man you got no idea what's going on in their head and in their body right mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of red flags when coaches from the get-go they start giving their clients rules like you can do this you can't do that you know you're allowed to eat this you you're not allowed to eat that like I think those should be big alarm bells of like Mm. hey like I don't really want to get myself involved in this you know it's not sustainable it's not going to end very well you know and sure like anyone can pretty much anyone can diet anyone right we know that you pretty much need a caloric deficit but there's a hell of a lot of healthier ways to do it, you know, and there's some pretty drastic measures you can take. And sure, you might look similar at the end result, but and the way that you reverse out of that. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of red flags when it comes to picking a coach and it's a massive decision. And I listened to your guys' podcast, you know, on how to choose a good coach. And I thought that was a really awesome podcast. So anyone who hasn't listened to that, definitely go check that out too. (laughs) Thank you. And we didn't really elaborate too much on nutrition. So I'd love to know some of your non-negotiable red flags um, Mm. based on nutrition. What would we look out for? Mm. Yeah. So pretty similar things to what we've spoken about. You know, I, I don't want... I don't want anyone uh, beating themselves up about eating, you know, just one certain food, right? So that's the thing. Unless someone has an allergy or an intolerance to something, or they just purely don't like the taste of that food, I don't want them to be in the mindset at all that they're not allowed to put it into their mouth. So that's um, that's certainly one thing. And yeah, just excluding, excluding whole food groups. Um, that's a huge thing as well. And I think it's really important for coaches to actually have their, have an education so that they can actually explain the why to their clients. So if you're trying to tell a client that, Hey, you need to, you need to increase your fiber intake, right? Like the client just doesn't like take that advice and say, okay, cool. You know, I'm going to increase my fiber intake. I'll just, Mm -hmm. um, you know, have some fiber one bars and some konjac noodles, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, be good to go. Or like if the client asks like, why do I need to increase my fiber intake or anything? Yeah. Why? Um, or it's something like, why do, why do you recommend that, you know, I actually eat more grams of carbohydrates compared to more grams of fat? Or why do I need to increase my protein? Or why don't I need to eat this much protein? I think it's really important that a coach has the education behind them so they can actually explain that to the client and truly educate the client. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Love that. Mm-hmm. We're all about that. Not yeah. only um, as a coach taking the ownership to educate themselves, but then take ownership as a client 
to educate yourself by mm. asking mm. why. Yeah. Thank you. And one of my big things is always, even for myself, is if someone understands rationale behind what they're doing, they're going mm. to be more compliant in why they're going to do it. You know, if mm. we're sort of explaining, look, you know, we need to build your protein up from this to this because, you know, research supports that eating, you know, at least two grams or perhaps you're training really hard. We want that to be supported. You know, they're going to be more compliant and understanding and mm push to change those habits because nutrition is so habitual about what we do you know it's like we don't think about a lot of the time Mm -hmm. so when it comes to coaching it really is like tracking and making the client aware of what they're doing Mm -hmm. so that we can implement the habits to change it rather than giving guidelines yeah Um, and it also removes you know reliance mm -hmm. well what happens when their coaching period with you finishes exactly confused and not learn anything it's like no we need to be able to provide the tools for the people to be confidently able to not only do it for themselves but then teach their friends and families yeah. healthy habits like, yeah yep. gone are the days of just trying to hold on to clients mm-hmm. forever like yeah i couldn't agree more yeah that's the whole goal as a good coach you know you want to make your clients self-sufficient you want to mm-hmm. educate them so that they can stand on their own two feet and they can graduate from coaching you know yeah. like you're not meant to be coached forever you you I, I remember you talking about this Sherelle you know like you learn certain things from certain people but then you have the, the self-confidence of okay you know I've in a nice way I've gotten what I wanted to get from you I want to kind of move on my own path now and that's mm-hmm. perfectly fine mm-hmm. right but that's the thing why as a good coach you want to have a really good relationship with your client you know you want to instill them with very good evidence-based education uh, and you just want them to feel self-confident in the way that they do things so that if they no longer are working with you, they know that they still know how to eat properly. You know, they still know how to fuel their performance. They still know how to follow a training program that they can still progressively overload with to meet their goals. And that's why I'm a huge advocate, you know, for really educating people on how to track track their macros, understanding the energy density and the macronutrient distribution of different foods rather than just giving someone a stock standard meal plan. Like I'm really not the biggest advocate for meal plans at all because there's just so many, there's, there's a lot of issues with meal plans. You know, it doesn't truly educate someone. And then mm-hmm. if someone, you know, the, like is going out to dinner or something, or they stop coaching with you, they just don't actually know how to make informed nutritional choices. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important. Yeah. yeah, I can. I love that. I love the energy yeah. they got in that because, Passion. Um, yeah, you're right. Like this in current, uh, the current coaching model is really a lot about reliance rather mm. than autonomous decision making um, and instilling that in people. And yeah, we spoke a lot about that in that last episode about sort of our recommendations around that. But something I would love to chat to you about is carbohydrates in general. Um, obviously, with more of a sports nutritional background mm-hmm. um, and competitor yourself, how do you approach carbs? Because I like not all carbs are created equal which we know of and obviously you know whole foods are best but do you range for you know say 50 percent from starches you know like or do you have any parameters around different types of carbohydrates Ooh, um not i don't actually to be honest i don't necessarily break it down into like yeah simple sugars complex carbohydrates per se because generally if someone is eating a pretty uh you know um, nutrient dense diet, they are getting a lot of their carbohydrates from complex sources. Yeah. You know, they're eating more grains, they're eating starchy vegetables, they're eating more fruits and stuff like that. Um, but it just depends on the athlete. Like, for example, 
the, the majority of people who are training in the gym for one or two hours per day, they're only doing one training session. The rest of the day, they might do some light walking or they're out at work or whatever, right? Like you don't necessarily need to focus too much on the, um, the rate at which that carbohydrate is going to break down in your stomach, right? Like mm-hmm. people don't need the majority of the time people don't need to be having like intra-workout shakes or, you know, you go into the gym and you see these big buckets called like pure carbs. Like, <laughs> it's just not necessary. You know, you don't really need it. It's really only applicable to people who are like athletes who are training like twice per day and they mm-hmm. might only have like four hours or six hours between training sessions, right? And it's it's really high intensity work. They are burning through a lot of muscle glycogen. So if someone's doing like, let's say a rugby player or something, right? Like let's say that they're doing an hour and a half of, you know, uh, running training in the morning. And then four hours later, they're going to have an hour and a half of gym-based training. It's really important that they replenish. And the quickest way to replenish would be to consume uh, faster digesting carbohydrates. So perhaps having something like a Gatorade and a whey protein shake, right? To actually get that in. But for the majority of people, you know, it's really just sticking to those guidelines of, um, it's you want to have your pre it's called peri workout nutrition so you want to have your pre and your post workout meal within 4 to 6 hours of one another so you have a pretty big window right and the it's four interesting cuz we here sorry to interrupt what's no, the it's fine. like the half an hour anabolic after you window eat. yeah so okay. that's cool. the thing that's what i'm like like Brad Schoenfield Alan Aragon they've kind of debunked yeah. this myth mm. and rather than an anabolic window they more think of it as like a barn door like it's actually a really big <laughs> time. You'd love that. I love the bar uh, And that's the thing because like if like between if you're having a pre and your post workout meal within four to six hours of one another, you know, because if if you have a meal right before you train, you train for an hour and a half and then you eat a meal right after, that might be within a two to three hour window, right? Your pre-workout meal is likely still in your stomach. It's mm. still being digested. You know, those amino acids are still being broken down and absorbed and they're helping to, you know, stimulate muscle protein synthesis and stuff like that. So it doesn't have to be immediate. And that's the thing we have to take into account that it's not like lightning, you know, we don't just swallow something or chew something. And then like, it's immediately in our bloodstream. This shit takes time, you Mm. know? (laughs) Mm. And that's the thing why it's four to six hours. If you're consuming something that might be digested a bit quicker. So yeah, something like a whey protein shake and some Gatorade, you know, there's no fiber in there, right? Like that's going to be digested quite quick. Like your, your body doesn't have to work too hard to break that down. So it's going to get into your bloodstream a lot quicker compared to if you ate a steak, some Mm -hmm. boiled potatoes and a bunch of asparagus, like your stomach's got to churn a hell of a lot more to break that down. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's the thing. Um, I think the take home as well is it's not as complex as people make it out to be, you know, the same with diets and stuff like that. You know, if it's extreme, it's probably too extreme. Mm -hmm. If it's overcomplicated, it probably is. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times it just comes down to the basics and, you know, manipulating your habits. That's the most important thing. It's like, you know, are you doing the basics well and consistently? And listening to your body as an individual. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. The main thing is, yeah, it's really about, you know, what does work best for you? What makes you feel your best? If you're, if you are heavily focused on training performance, you know, you need to work with trial and error. Like, Mm. like you need to recognize that, Hey, I actually feel better. I feel stronger. And it wasn't just that one time, you know, it's happened on a consistent basis. If I eat a meal prior to training, I perform a hell of a lot better. And I know that over the long run, if I can lift a slightly heavier weight for more reps, that's going to lead to greater stress on my body. That's going to lead to greater muscle hypertrophy. You know, that's going to lead to greater development of my physique. Um, So that's the thing. If you recognize that, but some people at the same time, you know, they do recognize that, man, if I have and it's also about the food choice as well. You know, someone might have a massive, like they might go out to Indian or something before they before they do squats, and then they're like, oh, no, bad I didn't want to hold it in. Didn't want to hold it in. My, don't get the butter chicken. <laughs> Literally, like, and they'll then they'll say like, no, I can never eat a meal before I train yeah. again. I have to train fast. It's yeah. like. No, you can probably eat something. It's just not butter, chicken, and naan bread. It's common, you know, that's, like that's right. Like it's common sense. Are you doing the basics? Now you're doing them. Wow. But it's not common to a lot of people because no. everyone's just overcomplicating well, it. Common sense isn't common. That's something Correct. I've learned. Um, I do have a question I wanted to pick your brain about. Yes. When you're in like a deep calorie deficit, say you're like on thirteen hundred calories. Mm-hmm. Right? couple weeks out from a show will what sort of nutritional supplementation do you look at for you know i know you can't really recommend you know for general everyone going out there but Mm -hmm. do you have sort of things that you look at parameters in terms of diets or blood work or anything like that when you are deep in a calorie deficit so i think that like you know how we talked about that 80 20 rule right when it um when we're talking about nutrition i think that the lower your calories are the even greater emphasis there should be on nutrient-rich foods because you're consuming a hell of a lot less energy and you need to meet your, you know, your nutritional baselines, you know, those bare minimums. So I think that you should heavily be focusing on um, nutrient-rich foods. So lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, lots of whole grains, lean meats, all that stuff. Um, Also, if you're in a very low energy, if you're um, consuming a hell of a lot less calories as well. Those foods are just going to satiate you a lot more mm-hmm. compared to like eating a Mars bar or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, so putting a large emphasis on getting a lot of your calories from uh, mainly a lot of plants, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the truth is, is I've actually never done blood work with a client before. Mm-hmm. I've actually never done blood work with a client before. Um, but basically as dietitians, we do do a uh, detailed dietary recalls. So again, a lot of coaches might just ask someone like, Hey, what are your macros? You know, like, and three numbers doesn't tell, or how many calories are you eating? Three numbers doesn't actually tell you what someone's eating. But as dietitians, we do very diet, uh, detailed dietary recalls. So that's where we go through basically the most average day of the week. And we go through absolutely every single thing that this person is putting into their body. And uh, we go into the finer details. Like if someone's like, I have cereal for breakfast, you want to know what brand of cereal it is, how much, what type of milk are they using, how much milk kind of thing. And then from that, you know, you can use your dietetics brain to really pick apart everything that that person's eating and say, okay, you know, this person, 
they're, they're not meeting their targets for omega-3 fatty acids. We need to get, you know, some oily fish in here, you know, mm-hmm. at least two times per week. We need to get some more chia seeds in here. Okay, this person's not consuming enough iron. So those things that you know from your education, you can usually pinpoint things like that from someone's diet as well. Um, So it really depends on the person. It it really comes down to truly understanding exactly what someone's putting into their body. And then I'm, I'm a big advocate of food first, you know, like if we can get these nutrients into you through food, we don't need to be supplementing with pills, you know, because there's food for that. Right. Mm. Um, And you're going to get a lot more benefits from actually consuming real food with those nutrients compared to the pills. But, you know, if someone is nutrient deficient in something, you know, like obviously, you know, uh, vegan athletes, right? Vegans, uh, they're not, unless they're supplementing with something with vitamin B12, they're not going to get vitamin B12 in their diet. So that is, that's a non-negotiable. They need to be supplementing with vitamin B12. We also know that iron, you know, in the heme, in the non-heme form, it's not bioavailable. And a lot of people, especially if they're on 1300 calories a day, might be unlikely they're getting enough iron. So we might want to look at foods that are fortified with iron, or if they speak to their doctor, potentially take an iron supplement. Um, Luckily here in Australia, we have the beautiful sun. So most people do get adequate sunlight exposure, but some people don't, you know, Mm -hmm. and if people are, if you're an online coach working with other people across the world, you know, and uh, it might be winter there or they work a desk job, they don't get out enough, they might be vitamin D deficient. So, Mm -hmm. and vitamin D plays a huge role in our immune system, you know, Mm -hmm. in our bone health, calcium absorption, a whole bunch of things. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it really comes down to the person identifying, you know, what they're eating, what their environment is like, and then kind of go in from there. Mm, yeah, that's really good advice. Um, lots of good ones in there because I think what you pointed out, all the ones you spoke about are probably some of the most common nutritional deficiencies that you would see. And mm. especially vitamin D, that was something I wasn't aware of until um, sort of at work we test everyone antenatally for their mm. vitamin D levels. And I was like, oh my goodness, like nine out of 10 of us are actually deficient during winter. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously huge. women that are, um, and this is women who are often taking prenatals. Mm, so you know it does come down to because you say like obviously in australia like yeah during summer we're all where we are but in melbourne i know we're covered up yeah that is that is a really good point i probably i'll take that back not everyone (laughs) is getting enough sunlight i wish everyone (laughs) i wish everyone could enjoy the sun but yeah Yeah. it's it's a huge issue and that's the thing as well that's why um you know i've I've heard and read a few things about you know coronavirus obviously this virus Mm. it it's impacting a lot of people who have susceptible immune systems and a huge proportion of the U.S. population where they have the highest number of coronavirus cases, right? A lot of them are vitamin D deficient Mm. and actually now quarantining people or having people in isolation and now actually having people inside too, where they're not getting vitamin D as well from the sunlight, that can make their immune systems even more compromised. So So a yeah. lot of things, right? But yeah, vitamin D in- is, is an amazing supplement. And, uh, you know, there is literature to support that if you are deficient in it, 
just like anything, if you're deficient in something, you need to get up to the RDI, right? Like you need to get back up to your, um, to those baseline numbers. So supplementing with vitamin D, I'd recommend taking a vitamin D plus calcium supplement because Mm -hmm. they help the absorption of one another. And Mm -hmm. vitamin D is super important for actually assisting with the absorption of calcium in the small intestine. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've done some literature, you know, to show that athletes who are vitamin D deficient, when they actually supplement with vitamin D, and it's like thousands, tens of thousands of uh, IUs, um, their performance increases too. Yeah, because it's one of those, um, it's, it's more like a hormone, isn't it? Like vitamin mm. D, it's classified as actually a hormone. And when you're deficient in it, it has an effect on the entire body. So that was something because I was deficient in vitamin D. I got my levels tested mm. when I was doing night duty quite frequently. And um, as soon as I started supplementing, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, but that I was deficient, you know, yeah. and you've almost got to scrape the barrel to get a doctor to write um, <laughs> because it, it costs, it's expensive to get your vitamin D levels tested. So um. Um, in yeah. terms of supplementation, like obviously you said get it from Whole Foods first, which is awesome. But mm-hmm. for someone who wishes to purchase supplements, is there some resources or places that you would recommend to buy them versus others where it might just be, what do they say, expensive urine, you just pay it out? Like which, without maybe naming brands or however you want to go about it, how does one get a really good supplement? Yeah, so there's, uh, it, it's difficult to say per... I, I'm, if you've honest, got brands, you can say them if you feel like there's some brands out there that you'd recommend. To be honest, my knowledge in this area is probably more related to ergogenic aids and sports supplements. So things okay. like creatine, uh, protein powder, you know, beetroot juice powder, all of that sort of stuff. To be honest, I'm actually not that aware of other supplements, things like uh, vitamin C or like fish oils and stuff like that. But I do know that for sporting supplements, um, you want to, there's this, there's two companies that I know of there. One is called Hasta. The other one is called informed sport. Mm -hmm. So they are third party bodies that will actually test these supplements to ensure that one, they are the supplement itself. And also they're completely free of banned substances so that they can be used by athletes at like an Olympic level or anyone uh, competing in a tested federation, right? Who's not allowed to take certain um, certain performance enhancing drugs, um, and they are essentially approved by WADA, which is the World Anti Doping Agency. So yeah, if okay. you buy a supplement, uh, so there's like there's VPA Australia, there's Musashi bulk nutrients, I believe there's different companies that will actually go to the effort, which I think is phenomenal to have their supplements tested by these third party bodies. So HASTA and informed sport to ensure that, yeah, they're high quality sports supplements, you know, and right. um, they're ergogenic aids. But in regards to the other ones, I'm so sorry. I'm actually not able to answer that. Mm. That's no. fun. And I respect that. Yeah. You know, we always talk about the beauty and yeah. when someone says, look, I actually don't know, yeah. um, rather than just making something up. Yeah. So thank yeah. you. That's, yeah. I really respect the hell out of that. Should we do some questions? Yeah, we can talk forever. Oh, as we yeah. get a guest on, we just talk and, and well, listen and ask questions. So. Yeah. And I was a bit selfish getting you on. I was like, oh, so <laughs> yeah, I love, I love podcasting. I love to chat. <laughs> thank you. Um, we did have a lot of Q and A, so thank you for everyone who did reach out and post questions. But we filtered them down to some of the most common themes that we'd like to ask. Mm. Um, so let's get into it. So the first one is from Emma Gracie, and she asks, "Can you gain muscle in a calorie deficit?" Great question. 
So there's a lot of different factors at play here. Uh, I think that one of the main things is it depends on your training age and your starting body composition. So if you are brand new to resistance training, right, and uh, you also have uh, a little bit of a high body fat percentage and you don't have much muscle mass on you, you know, this is a new stimulus. So if you can get on board with a resistance training program that's allowing you to uh, train in a progressive overload manner, and you're also paying attention to your nutrition in terms of you're consuming that minimum of at least two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day, and you're, if you are sticking to your energy deficit, you're sleeping well, managing your stress, then yes, most certainly, especially if you're a beginner, you can certainly build muscle in a calorie deficit, that's for sure. But the only thing is, is that it just becomes a little bit harder as you get into the intermediate and advanced level. And uh, yeah, so pretty much if you've been training for quite a number of years, if you've been training for like five or 10 years, unfortunately, it's a lot less likely that you're going to maximally build muscle mass and develop your physique while you're like dieting during a comp compared to your improvement season. So mm-hmm. depends where you are at in your training journey, where your body composition is. And that's the thing, you know, that's why as physique athletes, we generally do have those different phases of we have comp prep and then we have improvement seasons because both, you know, we're able to manipulate our nutrition and our training slightly differently to really maximize that time and really, yeah, uh, get the best out of, you know, what we're trying to achieve with our physique at that time. Amazing. Yeah. And psychologically as well, I think it's important to focus on one. Mm. Like, sure, cool. If you grow into a show, that's great. But knowing when you're in a fat loss phase, having that mindset around Mm. that, doing those tasks, establishing the habits and the routines is really important. And also trying to preserve muscle mass as well. Like, you can absolutely preserve muscle mass in a calorie deficit. Um, If you're training with intensity as well and it's structured and progressive overload, like you said, and frequent protein as well. Yeah. And frequent protein. And not crash, not crash crash dieting as well. You know, don't do an eight week prep, you know, give yourself Mm -hmm. 18 weeks kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Take it a little bit slower so that you can, you know, you're still dieting, you're still uh, in an energy deficit, but you don't have to be as aggressive. And that Mm -hmm. way you can perform better during the gym. And like you said, you can maintain that strength. You can maintain that performance, maintain those numbers, which is going to maintain that muscle mass. And But I just think it's so important for especially beginners to know that they can build muscle mass if they start to diet because potentially a lot of people don't actually, like imagine if someone comes into the gym, right? And they're a little bit overweight, but they feel like they're like, oh no, I don't actually want to start with the resistance training because someone told me that you have to bulk in order to build muscle, but Mm. I'm already uncomfortable in my own body. I know I'm a little bit overweight and I don't want to gain any more weight. Like even if I build muscle, it's not worth it to gain more weight. So I'm just going to go over to the rowing machine kind of thing. Um, So I think it's really important for people to know that, no, like if you're new to the gym, you can get straight into resistance training and you can have positive body recomp position. So Amazing. I think that's really important for people to know. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. That's mm. perfectly yeah, that's a winner. Do you want to read out the next name? No. <laughs> Cheryl always handballs me the name. <laughs> Love you all. <laughs> all right. So thank you for that. That was a really good answer. Um, and question, Emma. Thanks. So on to the next one. Reese Winiata. I'll read the question now. Oh, good stuff. (laughs) I'm taking the floor. You passed it to me. I'm taking it. Calculating your own macros 
and when and how they need to be changed when trying to build muscle. Mm, okay, so calculating your own macros. So first off, I would uh, probably start by calculating protein intake. So this it's pretty simple. You know, protein, pretty much you just want to have anywhere between the recommendations are like 1.6 to like 2.2 grams per kilogram per day. But I'd say just make it easy and just go for two grams per kilogram of body weight per day. Easy math, you know you're getting sufficient protein. So pretty much times your body weight by two, and that's the total grams of protein that you need throughout the day. Body weight um, in kilos, just confirming. Uh, yeah, yeah, body weight Otherwise in kilograms. It's one pound times like if, if it was uh, if you're 130 pounds 130 mm. grams of protein yeah, I was, yeah yeah just wanted to make it clear for everyone yeah um so yeah so i guess one gram per pound or two grams per kilogram okay um Easy. and then after that i guess you could calculate fat intake so a generally a pretty good spot for people is around one gram per kilogram of body weight per day for fat intake. Uh, obviously, that does need to change if you are in a dieting phase. You generally can go lower than that, maybe down to like 0.6 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. Um, but, you know, you can start off around one gram per kilo. Uh, but at the same time, you can go a bit lower than that if you were depending on your body weight, you know, like if, if you, if you're a girl who's like 50 kilograms, then I'd probably recommend going around 50 grams per day. But mm -hmm. if you're like 90 kilograms, you can probably go a little bit less than 90 kilograms. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah, so then you have your protein, you've got your fat and then you, what you also need to know is the total amount of calories that you're consuming throughout the day. So let's say that someone, you said this person, they wanted to build some muscle, right? Yeah. So they'd, yeah. Probably be, um, they'd probably be either at maintenance or in a slight calorie surplus. So take the total amount of calories that you're consuming throughout the day. And then you just need to subtract the calories from the protein you're consuming and the pro and the calories from the fat that you're consuming. So protein per gram is four calories. Fat per gram is nine calories. So you just need to do the math for those figure out the total amount of calories from protein and fat, and then subtract that from the total amount of carb calories that you're consuming. And then from that amount of calories left over, divide that by four, and mm. that will be the total amount of carbohydrates that you can mm. consume. Mm. You went about that so well. You did. Oh, I would have that up. There's no, also you know. um, lots of calculators online that you can use to have a that's look around. That's the easier answer. Easy yep. Sorry, you she just said that first. No, appreciate that. <laughs> no, because that's that's what the calculator's doing. So it's important for yeah. people to understand. Because um, they're pretty well bang on. Like they're not completely accurate, but they're a good starting space. Mm. And then you obviously track your body composition and your weight and your performance and your sleep and everything else. And then, you know, if you're gaining weight slowly, you know, you're potentially in a surplus and vice versa, mm. weight in a deficit. And then you go about it like that. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're not going to just wake up and all of a sudden you've put on 10 kilos. No, it's like just no. get your information from a calculator. If you don't want to reach out to a coach um, mm. and then just monitor week by week, yeah. be consistent and also don't be so quick to change things. Like she said, that's yeah. the thing calculating when and how it's like, give your body a couple of weeks to actually collect some data, you know, fluid and everything changes so much, especially around our cycle as females. So it's really important to give your body a chance to progress and to actually collect data and then make a rational um, decision. Not when you wake up and you're a kilo heavier and then you're like, 
now I'm cutting tomorrow. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Gosh. Yeah. That's the thing. Like what gets measured gets managed, you know, and you have to give things a good, good shot because yes, especially as girls, our body weight fluctuates all oh. the time. And yeah, it just, and it totally skews the data. You know, if, if you do wake up the next morning and you know, you're half a kilogram heavier, or a kilogram heavier, you know, and then if you decide to slash your calories one day, and then your body weight goes down a little bit the following day because you ate hardly anything. You don't know if that's truly because why, what's the reason for that? It, mm, it, the yeah. data gets so messed up. So yeah. yeah, you just have to trust the process. Give things a good shot. Like you said, Sherelle, give things a solid few weeks to really yeah. identify general trends, hold yourself accountable, stay consistent, yeah. you know, and really see like, okay, what's really going on here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't make emotional decisions, make rational ones. Mm. Um, once you've collected enough data to do so. And if you can't do that, then you're not in the place to be doing so. And you need to seek um, some guidance from a coach or just, mm. yeah. And as well, don't get into a habit of weighing yourself every day. Maybe just stick to one day a week to start off with that mm-hmm. same time of the day in the morning mm. and then just build it, base it off that perhaps. Yeah. yeah the weight's you getting can do to your own head in. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll read this one. No, all right. Ashley, understand. Oh, um, when increasing calories, which macro do you increase first and why? So I guess in the context of reverse dieting, if you were building someone's metabolism up, so to speak, how would you um, go about doing so? Yeah. So generally I would keep protein the same. Um, and then in the terms of reverse dieting, as long as I I get fats right up to where they need to be pretty much from the get-go. I think that's pretty important. So that kind of only leaves one macronutrient left, which is carbohydrates. So as long as protein and fats are where they need to be, then pretty much when you are continuing to increase your total calories, right? I would generally increase carbohydrates because we know that carbohydrates, you know, they're that extra glucose that's really going to help to fuel your performance. Also, if someone's reverse dieting, they're pretty hungry, you know, like, and because carbohydrates per gram, they are half as energy dense as something like fats. We know that you can eat a greater volume of food too. And generally, if you are eating more carbohydrates, you can eat more plant-based sources. You can eat more fruits, more vegetables, mm. more grains. So you're going to get a, um, you're going to eat a greater volume of food. You potentially will most likely have more energy to fuel your workouts and just have sustained energy levels throughout the day. And also with more plant-based sources of carbohydrates too, you're going to get a greater diversity of fibers as well, which is just going to help to increase uh, the diversity in your gut microbiome too. So I generally go for carbs, but at the same time, it does really come down to total energy intake. So, you know, if you're like, man, I just kind of want some more peanut butter on my oats, you know, and it's the exact same calories as if I had a few more oats, like have some extra peanut butter, man. Like, (laughs) Preference. There you go. You heard yes. it first. You'd love that, Cheryl. She oh, freaking loves peanut butter. 100%. Yeah, uh-huh. personal preference is really important because you're exiting a diet. You want to be, um, you know, enjoying the foods that you're eating and not mm. feeling so restricted still. Exactly. Yeah, it, it really it depends on, yeah, listen to your body. What do you really want to eat? And, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, that's, that's absolutely the main thing. Mm. Is it true that you can overeat on protein or if you eat above your sort of minimum requirement or maximum mm-hmm. requirement that it's wasted a lot of so people, it, uh, it's not necessarily wasted per se but um like we can like 
protein, right, if we consume too much, it can go through gluconeogenesis. So gluconeogenesis is the process in the body by which we form new glucose from non-glucose sources. So if you overconsume protein, it's likely that the liver is going to take those amino acids and it's going to convert them into glucose. And then if you have extra glucose, that can help raise blood glucose levels. But then if you are in an energy surplus, that extra glucose, that can then go through, um, I believe it's called de novo lipogenesis, and then you can create new fat, essentially. But, oh, wow. um, but the thing is, over-consuming protein, protein has the highest thermic effect of food compared to any other food. So the total amount of protein that you eat, around 30% of those calories are actually going to be used just in the digestion and absorption and metabolization of that protein itself. 30%. So, yeah, it's a That's lot. That's why people increase it during a diet because yeah. it's essentially like not all calories are equal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's why generally these people, generally, if you're eating a lot more protein than you are carbohydrates or fats, you can get away with it a little bit more. You know, like if Mm. someone's eating a lot of steak, they're probably less, they'll probably still put on a bit more body fat if they're in an energy surplus, but they probably won't put on as much body fat compared to someone who's like lathering butter on their toast for the same amount of calories kind of thing. Because that thermic effect food, it's like 30% for protein. It's like somewhere between seven to 10% for carbohydrates, depending on like the fiber component of that carbohydrate. And it's only like one to 3% for fats. So really? fats are, there you go. yeah, we can very easily store fat. <laughs> so if you're starving and about to, you know, eat your own arm off, then have something that's <laughs> yeah. protein, and, and, but not your arm. <laughs> and no, it's okay. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if you're starving, it's okay to have a bit of extra chicken. Like, you yeah. know, yeah, fine. Um, and as well, like that is why, you know, people that think they're on keto diets, when they're eating a high protein diet, your body's really smart. It's going to take that protein and use those amino acids and turn it into glucose. Mm. Yeah. It takes you out of ketosis. Exactly. Um, it's there like you, you can't outsmart your physiology. No. Yeah. And that's the thing with a keto diet, like sure, you might not be in ketosis per se, but if it's keeping you in an energy deficit, which mm, might yeah. be your goal, you know, you, you're feeling satiated throughout the day. You, you feel like you do have sustained energy levels. You've loaded food focus. Like that's a win for you. You know, if that works for you, it works for you. hundred percent. I love that. Lucky last. You can take it. Brianna underscore Elizabeth. During summer, I struggle to eat enough calories. How do I train my body to eat more? Hmm. So I think that if you're struggling to eat enough calories, um, but like your goal is that you need to consume more, you probably just need to look at more energy dense sources of food, you know? So perhaps instead of eating strawberries as your main fruit source, maybe go for something more like bananas, you know, Mm. or again, put some more peanut butter on your oats. (laughs) Um, just these little things, you know? Um, so it's more just like for the total volume of food that you're eating, just add more energy to that to increase your total calories. And again, like, like look at your shopping cart or look in your pantry and see like, okay, cool. Like, are my goals actually aligning with what I'm doing? You know, like I'm, and be honest with yourself too, you know, like if, you're saying yeah, Brianna, that be honest like, with <laughs> um, because some people are like, oh, I just can't eat any more food. But when they go out, you know, they order the lowest calorie thing, yeah. you know, or their yeah. pantry is full of all these diet products. And it's like, 
but man, you say your goal is to eat more calories, then you need to start purchasing real food with actual energy in it and start putting more energy into your body. So um, there's, there's quite a few different strategies to go around it. I'd say that's the main thing is yeah. just actually making sure you are consuming calories mm-hmm. and for the total volume of food, make sure there's more calories in there. Yeah. And I think we spoke about this um, on another episode about, you know, letting go of diet foods for a period of the year yeah. and, you know, eating the whole eggs and instead of the egg whites and, you know, choosing salmon instead of white fish and cycling mm-hmm. these foods so that you can one, have a psychological break, but two, like you said, align what you're doing with your goals. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you do look at it, like, you know, how much, broccoli are you eating like yeah and you eat something more strategic instead of loading up on so much fiber which is potentially filling up your stomach mm-hmm. um so like you said i think food sources is just the main takeaway before you try any other strategy it's just look at the food type that you're eating and even yeah. smoothies you know summer yeah. drink your calories yeah drink a nice smoothie full of have a cocktail do you know how many calories in a pina colada? You got summer, man. Park yourself on the beach, get an umbrella. What do you think the difference is summer versus like why she may have mentioned in summer she struggles? Um, I'm to be honest, I'm not sure. Maybe sometimes, maybe she might be out more. She might be doing more things. Like she, like generally, if you're do, out and you're busy and you're doing more exercise, sometimes that can suppress your appetite. Mm. Um, compared to winter, you know, you might be rugged up at home or something. Mm. You might not be out at the beaches often or out in the park with your friends. And you know, it's generally during times in your life where you're not as distracted, you're not as busy where you're like, man, I feel like I could eat something, you know, like eating is a fun thing to do (laughs) to pass the time. And that's why a lot of people do uh, struggle with boredom eating Mm. and perhaps I'm not sure, like maybe she's just not as bored in the summer. (laughs) Fair call. It's true, summer, you know. Summer. It's true. Amazing. Um, yeah, well, thank you so much. Tell us, wow. um, you know, I've, I've learned so much, but yeah, tell great. us where our followers and audience can um, find more about you, like, you know, your Instagram, your podcast. Can you give yourself a bit of a shout out? <laughs> ah, of course. Thank you, guys. I just want to say thank you so much for having me. First off, honestly, this has been a pleasure. I've loved chatting. I feel like we could talk for hours. We could. I think really? we have. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Tiara Nelson. So that's just T-Y-A-R-R-A-N-E-L-S-O-N. And my partner and I, we also own the business called The Bodybuilding Dietitians. So you just can find that on Instagram as well under the handle The Bodybuilding Dietitians. We've also got a podcast called The Bodybuilding Dietitians, which you can find on any major podcast app where we essentially just, you know, give evidence-based answers to a lot of health and nutrition questions and bust a lot of myths. We have a lot of fun on there. Mm. And uh, you can also check out our website at www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com. Amazing. That was so cool. I mean, Sherelle sort of has been listening to you for a little bit longer than I, but I most certainly will be tuning into your podcast and you just have such a beautiful energy about you. And I really, we both really align with your values and beliefs. So thank you so much. It was an honor to have you on the show. Thank you guys. Likewise, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Same to you. And of course, girls, if you did get anything from this episode, please do take a screenshot, tag myself, tag Danielle, tag Tiara, and of course the Level Up podcast. And um, good luck with uh, you know you're the rest of your improvement season. We'll be really excited to um, follow the rest of your prep as well. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you.